With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this is the Jets-Dolphins rematch pregame report. Normally, we would start out with Chris Nimbley, the very big deal of JetsInsider.com, but we're going to go to him in a little bit because there's so much injury news and so much important injury news that I wanted to start the show this week with our medical expert, 35-year orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Steven Stoller. Doc, boy, do we have a lot to talk about this week. Yes, we do, Scott. So let's start with the biggest news here, Doc, and that's Le'Veon Bell. Looks like he's going to be a game-time decision with an undisclosed illness. Any idea what kind of illness this could be to cause this type of uncertainty this close to game time? You know, the only thing I could think of is, you know, this time of year that it could be a uh, flu-type illness. Um, the only thing I find that's curious is that I think um, listed on Wednesday, um, there's it's just left blank. And then uh, for Thursday and Friday, it's, you know, did not participate and he's questionable for Sunday. So, you know, except for the fact that um, Wednesday's uh, status is just empty, um, you know, raises some red flags. But now, if it wasn't for that and he does have an illness, I would imagine it would be something similar to a flu. The other big news is that three of the starting five players in the secondary are going to miss this game. And we'll start with the biggest one of the bunch, Jamal Adams. He got injured last week. He's in a walking boot. I'm wondering if he's going to play again this season. What's the story with the injury, Doc? And do you think that it could be serious enough to keep him out for the rest of the season? Well, I... I, he sprained his ankle, I believe, in the first quarter because I saw him on the sidelines having his ankle taped. And I think that's what he mentioned um, uh, post-game report. Uh, I mean, he hasn't uh, practiced for the week. I would think that he probably did some additional damage by playing the uh, three quarters after he injured his ankle. And the MRI did not reveal a high ankle sprain. So he's dealing with you know, a standard um, ankle sprain, which is limiting factors would be, you know, swelling and pain. So I figured, you know, at least two weeks, you know, in the position that he plays, 
that he would be out. So I wouldn't expect him, uh, you know, to be able to participate until maybe the second or second or, or last game of the season. And I think at that point you say like, you know, I'm better off being cautious and protecting his ankle for next season. Brian Poole is out. What do we know about this injury? Brian Poole is a concussion, and he's presently in the concussion protocol. And the concussion protocol, you know, consists of, you know, um, multiple tests, you know, some of them um, including uh, cognitive function, where they would test, like, you know, his memory and his recall, like, you know, um, uh, giving him names and having him repeat them five, ten minutes later, um, simple, um, you know, math problems to solve. In addition, they'll do fine motor skills um, by having them like touch his nose and touch someone's finger, you know, at a further distance and increase the rate um, and, you know, multiple uh, uh, tests uh, similar to that. And if he's uh, pass all the tests, the last thing and maybe the most significant is does he still have any symptoms? And some of the symptoms would be, you know, like a headache, nausea, um, lethargy. So if he passes all the tests and he's asymptomatic, you know, then he will, he'll pass the concussion protocol and he should be available to play. But being that he did not participate for the week and he's already stated as being out that I wouldn't expect him to be in this week. And uh, we'll have to see how he does next week. What's going on with Arthur Millette? Arthur Millette has a calf uh, strain. And, uh, you know, when you have a calf strain, every time you lift your heel off the ground, you're contracting that muscle with the muscle fibers are injured. So that produces pain and also um, makes it more difficult for that injury to heal. So if you're walking around without, you know, a cast boot um, or you're trying to push off, which cornerbacks typically do, especially when they're backpedaling, you're not going to give the uh, calf strain uh, sufficient time to heal. And if anything, you may aggravate it. So being that he did not participate for the week, that he's probably not going to play on Sunday. Matthias Farley is still out. What's going on with him? Okay. Um, he has a rib and ankle injury. And um, even though the rib is not fractured, when you have a contusion on the rib, um, on the rib, like if you notice, if you eat spare ribs, there's a, a, uh, a thin layer of like tissue that comes off the bone. And that's called the periosteum. So that lies across the rib, and when you bruise it or it's, it's hit with a you know contusion, you get bleeding between the bone and that layer of tissue. And so that layer of tissue gets stretched. And within the periosteum are multiple nerve fibers that make it very painful. So having a rib contusion, even if it's not fractured, could be just as painful as having a fractured rib. And the problem with treating that is that, you know, usually with a fractured or an injured part of the body, initially you would like to immobilize it or splint it. And being that it's your rib cage and you can't splint it uh, because you would prevent the ability to breathe. So it takes a little bit of, you know, time and it's difficult to accelerate the healing process 
So right now it must be very uncomfortable because he did not uh, practice at all this week, and I would imagine he'd be doubtful uh, to return this week. We know that Shuma Adolga is out for the year, but now we also know that there will be no return in 2019 for C.J. Mosley. You've been saying for a couple of weeks that you felt that the best move here would be to shut him down and let him have surgery. You suspected there was a sports hernia here. They have shut him down. He is going to have surgery. Talk to me about this a little bit. I would have to assume that the surgery is for a sports hernia, and I probably would have shut him down earlier, but, um, you know, it really depends on, um, you know, the physicians that are examining him. Did he really have any chance of returning? Because you can return with a sports hernia, and you really aren't going to, and some of the players play with sports hernias, and after the season, have them surgically repaired. So I guess they were hoping that he might be one of those situations where he could play through some of the pain or discomfort and uh, make a contribution, you know, to the team. But apparently not, and I think it's a wise thing that he's, you know, put on injured reserve and is having the surgery early, early so he will make it to training camp um, sooner than later. Let's go through all the players that are listed as questionable. It looks like all of them are going to play with the possible exception of Le'Veon Bell. We've got Henry Anderson, Kelvin Beecham, Maurice Kennedy, Ryan Griffin, who also has an undisclosed illness, so I'm not sure if you have any insight on that like we were talking about with Le'Veon Bell, Steve McClendon, Demarius Thomas, and Paul Warlow, who once again I'm not entirely sure is an actual real person or somebody that the Jets are putting on the injury report to confuse the opposing team. So let's talk about this, Doc. Go through these one by one for me, if you could, please. Sure. Maurice uh, Kennedy um, looks like he has a quadriceps uh, injury, and he's also listed as an illness. So he's the third player on the team that's listed as an illness. So, I, you know, I would imagine some contagious, you know, flu that's uh, going around that, uh, similar to Le'Veon Bell. And um, I believe Ryan Griffin also has it as well. But Morris Kennedy also has a quadriceps injury, and um, you're, you have injury to the muscle fibers of the quadriceps. So when you bend your knee, you're stretching that area, which is inflamed and injured and going to aggravate the healing process. And at the same time, when you strain it, you're contracting those muscle fibers, which are also um, irritating that area and preventing it from healing. So you want to um, allow it some time of immobilization to um, accelerate the healing process. So he didn't pra uh, participate in practice on Wednesday, but he did have limited practice on Thursday and Friday. So there's a reasonable chance that he could play on Sunday. Ryan Griffin, we, I already mentioned, is you know having a uh, illness, which I would assume that's a contagious flu or upper respiratory type infection that's going through the team. Um, Steve McLennan has a knee and a hip. He didn't participate, but then he had limited participation. You know, this time of year, players will have uh, injuries that are not that significant, but being that they play week to week, the injuries aren't given enough time to completely heal. So they end up being lingering or more, you know, chronic injuries, and then they'll accumulate. 
So someone like Steve McClendon was dealing with a neck and now he's dealing with a knee and a hip. Um, you know, he's a good example of that. And it's probably, you know, one of the reasons why it's so advantageous if you're in the playoffs of having that week off uh, for your players to recuperate from some of these nagging injuries that haven't had enough time to, you know, recuperate when I play from week to week. Um, uh, Paul Worlow is a quadriceps injury, which is, you know, similar to what I mentioned to uh, Maurice Kennedy. Uh, he was uh, listed as limited participation, so he may return. Henry Anderson has been listed um, every week with the same injury. Um, so, again, and he's played. So I, it's hard for me to tell uh, how much discomfort he's in. Um, but he is able to play, so hopefully it's nothing uh, that would require any intervention after the season's over. Kevin Beecham has uh, one ankle. It's a, he's recovering from a high ankle sprain and the other from a regular ankle sprain, so both ankles are going to be uh, taped and placed in functional braces, and he was in limited participation, so... I would presume that he would be able to play on uh, Sunday. Um, uh, Alex uh, Lewis uh, has an elbow injury, and two weeks ago he was in an elbow brace with Canizio taping, and I noticed last week that he was in an elbow brace without Canizio taping. So I think that some of the pain and inflammation is subsiding. So um, he was listed as full participation on Friday, so I'd expect him to play tomorrow. Um, Demarius Thomas has been listed since the beginning of the season with his hamstring, so I really don't think very much of that, and um, I think that's it. A thorough injury report this week, as always, Doc. I wish that the Jets didn't constantly have so many people on the injury report, let alone so many important players on the injury report, but such is life with the New York Jets in 2019. Doc, thanks again for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. Talk to you again next week. In the meantime, though, for anybody that wants to talk to you, get a hold of you on social media, maybe discuss some of this injury stuff or just talk general Jets, or perhaps they want to talk about the results of the Ruiz-Joshua rematch, where can they get a hold of you? They can get a hold of me on Twitter, either as Steven Stoller MD um, or on Twitter with the Aging Athlete. Thanks, Doc. We'll chat again next week. And now with that, let's bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's up, buddy? Yeah, not too much, you know, just uh, getting excited and, uh, to gear up for this huge matchup between the Dolphins and the Jets. Talked a lot about this on the podcast Friday with Brian Nove, NBC Sports Northwest and Rip City Radio 620 AM in Portland. He's a diehard Dolphins fan. He'd been on the show before, so I asked him to come back on to talk about the Jets and the Dolphins. And also, a lot of the big, memorable moments in the Jets-Dolphins rivalry. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I recommend doing it. We're going to go through the keys to the game, but it's going to be really short because there's not a lot to say here. We already know what happened the first time. So Chris, here's what I'm going to say. The major keys to this game for the Jets are A, on defense, they've got to stop Brian Fitzpatrick from being able to do what he did the first time, and really what Andy Dalton copied last week with the Bengals. 
getting the ball out quickly, completing passes to running backs and tight ends. If he's able to do that, the Dolphins are going to be very productive on offense. And as far as the Jets' offense, Sam Darnold can't make the kind of mistakes that he did in that Dolphins game the first time, specifically that awful interception where he threw it into triple coverage and it looked like he was just chucking it up in the air. And also the offensive line has to make sure that they don't get dominated the way that they did against Cincinnati. If the Jets can find a way to fall within the parameters of those things, I think they have a very good chance to win, especially since they're at home. And you heard Brian No talk about this. When you make a team that's on the road one-dimensional, which the Jets have the opportunity to do with their elite run defense, it bodes very well for the home team. So I think there's every reason to believe the Jets can win this game. They just have to stop the Dolphins from being able to do the things that helped them succeed the first time. Yeah, uh, the key to the game is competency. <laughs> right. Be competent. Uh, don't run the ball right at Geno Atkins. How about that? <laughs> how about how about don't uh, target the the two good defenders and just send the play directly at them. Uh, now the the Dolphins don't really have anybody on their defense as good as Geno Atkins and D Carlos Dunlap, so maybe that won't be as much of a problem. But just Adam Gase needs to stop playing into the opposition's hand because that's what he did against Cincinnati. 100%. And that's a big problem with Adam Gase is that a lot of people want to say that it's all the injuries and that it's all players that aren't good and aren't playing well. But there were a lot of strategic errors against Cincinnati and we pointed them out throughout the week. He has to avoid those same strategic errors against the Miami Dolphins. We know what the Dolphins are good at. We know what they're bad at. We know what they succeeded at the first time. They've got to play away from what the Dolphins succeeded at the first time and make sure that they shut it down and that they play to the Dolphins' weaknesses. The Dolphins have a really bad offense and a really bad defense. There are ways to exploit both of them. And if they can do that, and there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to, they have an excellent chance of winning this game. But it's got to be a case of Adam Gase doing what he's supposed to do using conventional logic and not trying to be too smart for his own good because I think that's a lot of what did him in against the Cincinnati Bengals. Having said all of that, Chris, let's take a dip into the mailbag because that's always the most fun part of the pregame report. And we will start with a question from our friend Michael Christopher. He says, does anyone ever ask Gase at press conferences about the fact that he's lost by double digits in 41% of the games that he's been the head coach in? How does he explain that, or will the Jets start to ban reporters if they keep asking that question? Is that why no one's brought this up at press conferences, either after the game or during the week? Manish Mehta brought that up in a column over at the New York Daily News, and he mentioned it on the podcast this week as well. I'm not sure if it's been brought up at a press conference. I guess it hasn't. I think if anybody would bring it up at a press conference at some point, it would probably be Manish. It's definitely something that's worth addressing, as is the fact that Adam Gase has been a really bad road coach. These are things that need to be asked. I'm not sure that you need to ask it in such an abrasive way, but I do think that it's something that should be put to the head coach. 
I also don't think that they're going to start banning reporters. Crazier things have happened, I suppose, but I don't think they're going to ban reporters for asking tough questions. If they were ever going to start banning reporters, they would have done it after Manish asked Adam Gase whether or not the result in Miami the first time around vindicated Stephen Ross's decision to fire him. If they were ever going to ban somebody for a question, it probably would have been there with Manish. So I don't think they're going to ban anybody, and I would like to see those concerns and questions brought to Adam Gase's attention. Not sure that you need to ask it exactly that bluntly, but I think that there are clever ways that you can find a way to address it at the press conference. I I, I know how a lot of Jets fans feel about uh, Manish, but he's the one to ask that question. Uh, and he has asked that question. I was just trying to look. I remember, um, I forget when he did it. I was trying to look to see if I could find it. I can't find it right now. But I know he has asked that question. And uh, you you can... It's like uh, Manish and his style of reporting all you want, but, you know, it's it's one of those Batman lines. It's not the, the hero you deserve or whatever the need, but the hero you deserve. Uh, however, I, I butchered that. Uh, but, you know, the quote, um, he will ask those questions. He absolutely will. I haven't been in a lot of press uh, the press con- conferences during the week uh, over the last couple of weeks. I've been I've had to deal with some family stuff outside. So. Uh, but I do remember I was uh, one one time that Manish did ask that question. Uh, I forget how Gase responded exactly, but you know he did what he he normally does and kind of brushed it off and dismissed it. Um, but there, if there's a reporter you can count on to hold somebody's feet to the fire, it is a hundred percent Manish. And yes, he he's doing it right now uh, specifically with Gase, and he's he's going after Gase hard, but. He would do it for uh, uh, somebody else, too, when it's available. So uh, he will absolutely do that. Uh, then they're, they're not going to ban uh, us from, you know, from covering the team for asking tough questions. Uh, there was that point uh, earlier in the season, you know, when things were before they started that three-game winning streak, uh, and they had the conference call on a Monday, and they were kind of limiting uh certain reporters to only being allowed to ask one question on the conference call. So they might try to do some slick stuff like that, but they're not going to just flat out pull the credentials. Uh, they know they would get crushed and lose in a, a big PR battle if they tried something like that. So they're not going to do that. Uh, but uh, Manish is definitely the one that's going to press on things like that. Next question is actually a series of questions from Jesus De La Paz Jr. We'll go one by one on this, Chris. First one, are you ready to watch Devontae Parker score touchdowns while Daryl Roberts doesn't turn around while covering him? I hope that Greg Williams has the sense to never, ever let Daryl Roberts get matched up on Devontae Parker because if that happens, then you've got much bigger problems. The problem then becomes, what is Greg Williams doing? Why is he matching up Daryl Roberts with Devontae Parker? I would hope that he puts Blessing Austin on Devontae Parker. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready for it because how could I not be ready for it? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I've been around this, this team enough to be ready for it, to know that I have to be ready for it. I agree with you wholeheartedly, 100%. Um, but the way the season's gone and the way everything has played out, uh, I you'd be foolish not to be prepared for that to happen. Next question, over-under on offensive penalties. I'm going to say the over-under here would be five, and I'm going to pick the over because I think Tom Compton's going to get at least four just by himself. 
yeah, I if it's if it's at five, I got to take the over on that too. Uh, it's just, I mean, this is the the biggest problem again because these it's and it's the same type of thing we argued about when Bowles was here. And it's not so much the number of penalties in total that they're getting that's the problem. It's the timing of the penalties that's the problem. It's the 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 drive is getting going. And then you have a penalty and it sets them back to second and 20. And then they have to dig out or Adam Gase just does a, a, a little run. And then it's third and long and they can't do anything about it. This, this is just a, such a huge problem. Uh, it, it seems so minor at times, but it, it, it all builds up. And it, it, they've killed drives because of penalties. And they've put Sam Darnold in really bad spots. And especially when you have an offensive line that struggles to pass protect as much, it, you know, a third and 15 becomes that much harder because he has to wait for guys to get 15 yards down the field. And these guys cannot block for that long. So it, they, these need to be fixed. It needs to stop. And yes, you can blame the coach for this uh, when it keeps happening over and over again. And because when games are lost because of this, we are three quarters of the way through the season. This should not be happening. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Robert Lee. He says it's the last four weeks of the year. So does this mean it's time for the annual feature Bilal Powell and Robbie Anderson so that Jets fans end the season a little happier than they otherwise would be and give them hope for 2020? Problem is, that might have been the case a couple of years ago, but how much hope are you going to have with Bilal Powell now since this may be the end of his career? And Robbie Anderson, we don't even know if he's coming back. So I don't know if that's what it is. I think at this point, if they're going to give Jets fans hope in any regard, it would be revolving around Sam Darnold. So if Sam Darnold has a really nice last four games, Jets fans will be a lot happier than they otherwise would have been if they were coming off of a season where once again they were going to have a losing record. I think Darnold finishing strong will mitigate a lot of the anger from Jets fans because they'll look at it and say, okay, going into year three now, Joe Douglas will have his first opportunity to draft and go into free agency to put pieces around Darnold. Now we know that Darnold can consistently be really, really good. Let's get into that season and see what he can do. So I think that's where the optimism will lie, not with Robbie Anderson and Bilal Pell. Yeah, I, I can't. I don't. I can't even think of what Blau Powell would possibly do or could possibly do that would be like, oh, get Jets fans excited. Like, how good would he have to play over these next four games to get Jets fans excited about next season? When you know he's an older guy, he's Blau Powell at this point. I I don't even know what's possible there with Robbie Anderson. I mean, they've they've been using him the last couple of weeks. They've been featuring the last couple of weeks, and he's played really really well. Um, but as you said, we, we don't know that he's coming back. Uh, but I a hundred percent agree with you. It's, it's going to be about Darnold. And then if Darnold can keep improving and showing well, and that can get enough fans excited, it'll be, you know, a little bit of a placeholder excitement. Cause you got to wait and see how the off season goes, but they can feel good going into the off season if they make a couple of smart moves in free agency and they draft a bunch of good players, especially uh, address the offensive line, get a new weapon, bring Robbie back or don't bring Robbie back, get another one to replace him. Then I think going heading into the season, 
fans will buy right back into it again, just like they did heading into this uh, this offseason too. So this is an annual tradition for sure. Um, but that's just kind of how fans operate in general. Um, but the Jets do play into this, Sam, by being out of it so all early and then rallying at the end to give hope and then not going through the same thing next year. But again, we, you got Joe Douglas making the decisions now. So fans are going to get caught up in believing Joe Douglas will make the right decisions. Next question comes in from Tommy Griffin Kranz. He says, why should I watch any more games? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Sam Darnold, Blessin Austin, Quinn and Williams, those are the guys that you're watching for. You're looking at the young players that could be building blocks for the future. That's who you want to see. You want to see how they play the rest of the year and how much hope they give you going into 2020. Obviously, other than that, you're watching just because you're a Jets fan and you only get 16 games a year. At least you've only gotten 16 games a year the last couple of years because they haven't made the postseason. So that's really why you should watch above anything else. Plus, also, don't you want to see if they can play spoiler against a team like the Ravens or against a team like the Steelers or even mess with the Bills at the end of the season? There are reasons to watch. Yeah, but if you don't want to watch, I'm not going to blame you. Um, <laughs> or, or you do what I, I always recommend. You get two TVs, you set one up to the red zone, and you put the, the Jets game on the other one. I'm not going to blame you at this point for not watching. But, yeah, th those are the re the only reasons to really watch this point are to see Sam Darnold, uh, how he's progressing, how some of the younger players are doing, uh, how all those types of things are working out. And, you know, if, if things are falling apart in an absolute mess, then you watch that to see how bad it is and to be able to take your anger and frustration out on Adam Gase. And, yeah, but – you know, again, I'm not going to blame you if you don't want to bother. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying completely ignore it, turn it off. But if you want to go ahead and focus on the red zone instead of watching the Jets-Dolphins, I certainly am not going to knock you for it. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott, in the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Field position was a big factor against the Bengals. The Jets are ranked 31st in starting field position, and the broadcast listed a stat about having the most drives starting inside the 10 in the NFL this season. Between the penalties and fumbles, at what point do they tell these guys just to take a knee? It's an interesting question. It's not something you ever really want to tell players because you want them to be aggressive. You want them to be ready, willing, and able to make plays on special teams because there's always that possibility of breaking a big punt or breaking a big kick. And we have seen a couple of times, Vincent Smith had one really nice kick return. We saw Braxton Berrios have a pretty good punt return. But the way that the special teams have been playing this year, there is that temptation to just tell them, don't do anything fancy. Just don't kill us. Because as you said, field position has been a big problem, not just against the Bengals, but all year it's been a big problem. And when you have Sam Darnold in the offense starting at such a handicap, last year Michael Nania brought up the fact that Sam Darnold faced the most third and longs of any quarterback in the league. If he's facing this terrible field position on almost every drive, as far as starting field position goes, it's going to wear on him, it's going to wear on the offense, and it's going to lead to weakened results. So as much as you want these guys to feel free to make plays, I think that they're going to have to start trying to figure out ways to make sure that they don't make matters worse because unfortunately we have seen several instances where penalties and muffs and stuff like that have made it a lot worse. Ask a question after my own heart. This is something that I have been preaching for quite a long time. 
Um, I am firmly entrenched in the just fair catch it, just take a knee in the end zone uh, because, yes, occasionally somebody might break a big run. That'll help. More often than not, it, there's a block in the back or a holding penalty, and you end up starting backed up on your own five-yard line or something like that. Obviously, it's not a uh, – I'm not saying don't ever try to return a punt because if your offense is struggling, you need to make a play. It's late in the game, and you need to make a comeback. Then go ahead and, and, and try it then. But for the most part, I am firmly entrenched in the just fair catch it, just take a knee – avoid the penalty, avoid the possibility of a fumble or some big mistake because it just – if I guess maybe if, if the team's disciplined enough to not do this all the time, then I'd be more willing to do it. But – and this isn't just a Jets thing. I, I, I feel this all around the league for a lot of teams. I see way more penalties during these returns than I see big returns made. So – when you have all this and we've seen so much of them back being backed up and part of it is because, you know, they get backed up once and then the offense stalls and then they punt the ball and the other team is starts with great field position then, and the defense actually does their jobs and makes a stop. Well, guess what's going to happen? That that team's going to punt the ball and you're going to be in bad field position all over again. And it just snowballs and it just keeps happening over and over. So, you can have just one little mistake that can set that up. Like early in the game, you get a penalty on a return. You're backed up to the five. All of a sudden, Adam Gase is running conservative offense, play it safe, not make a mistake. They punt the ball. The scenario plays out just like I said. And they spend the next three drives starting in inside their own 10. Um, it, one mistake like that on one drive – can really ruin three drives for you if the defense does their job. Um, so I, I'm just – I've seen too many of these penalties for me to really think that the, the risk is worth the reward. It, it's, it's too much for me. And, and maybe if I had more faith in the offensive line to not also add penalties and more faith in the talent on the offense as a whole and the coaching staff's play calling as a whole – I'd be more willing to put up with that um, because, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is back there or prime Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Russell Wilson's back there, I'm more willing to risk that because I'd be, be able to overcome it more. But the way that Adam Gase coaches when they're backed up like that, he pretty much just concedes the drive a, a lot of times. Um, you know, he, he didn't do that in the get Dallas game and they took that, shot downfield and scored the touchdown that way, but they don't do that enough. Too often they get backed up like that and he kind of just concedes the drive. And it's it's not worth it for me. I'm going to fair catch and I'm going to take the knee. I think it's a fair point, especially considering who the Jets have doing the returns. But I think the conversation obviously changes if you have a special return guy like a Leon Washington yeah. or Justin Miller or somebody like that. If you have a weapon like that, Use it, but if you've got guys like Braxton Berrios and Vincent Smith, no disrespect to them because they're fine at what they do, but they're not going to typically be difference makers. I think you make an interesting point, Chris. Next question comes in from Mark YCKAGMD. He says, 
Why are Jamal Adams' foot injury details not being reported? Is it a sprain? Is it a high ankle? Is it a low ankle? Something seems fishy here. Chris, I'll let you take this one. Competitive advantage by <laughs> not ever letting anyone know what an actual injury is. Um, and yes, I understand how ridiculous that sounds when you only have four wins at this part point in the season. Uh, but that that's what it is. These coaches are so paranoid about this stuff. And, you know, look, look we obviously there is, uh, you know, the Kalichi Yosemite thing. Uh, then you can look at Brian Winters and how he was playing through, even though his shoulder was like, completely torn off his uh, his arm um but look at cj mosley how he he sprayed or tore his groin and then we were all like okay it's gonna be like a week or two injury and it turned into a much longer injury and then they brought him back and then hey got he re-injured it right away um they're just very this is just the nfl they like to give as little information as possible they like to be uh, as coy as possible. Um, it, it's an annoying thing, and, and coaches, uh, you know, Bowles always did this by refusing to say, like, which bad guard was going to start that week. Uh, like, there's some actual competitive advantage to that. But these coaches believe in this stuff, so they stick by it. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Before we get to our next question, let's try to make you a few bucks with my brother Craig's picks courtesy of the Vivid Seats mobile app. If you go and download the Vivid Seats mobile app right now and use the promo code OVERTIME, you'll get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. You can buy tickets for the game today between the Jets and the Dolphins if you want, or you can use that promo code on something else. Maybe you want to go to a boxing match, you want to go to a wrestling match, a concert, another sporting event like a hockey game or a basketball game. Anything you want, you can use that promo code when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. You make your first purchase, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you get yourself up to 100 bucks off on that very first purchase. And with that, we bring in my brother Craig to make his picks for the week. Craig, a very important week in your life. It looks like you're this close to becoming a dad. What's up, Scott? Yeah, any day now. We went to the hospital yesterday for a little little dry run, false alarm. But uh, any day now, so I'm excited. And yeah, going to be a dad, but ready to make these picks. Hopefully uh, last week I went 2-2 two and two with a teaser win. Not bad, but hoping to improve on that this week. You want to make a few bucks now that you're going to have a kid to take care of, so let's get right to it and see just what you got this week. What's your first pick? All right, so this pick, absolute favorite pick of the week. Love this pick. I know you're not going to like this one, but I'm going to go with Buffalo plus five and a half at home against the Ravens. Love this game. I think Buffalo wins the game outright. Again, I know you're not a big believer of Josh Allen or Buffalo, I personally actually think they're slightly underrated. They have a really good defense, and I just, they don't turn the ball over. And you know what? In the NFL, you don't turn the ball over, you have a good chance to win games. And I know they don't do anything flashy, and Josh Allen's not great, but I just I really like Buffalo in this one, plus the five and a half at home. Yeah, you're out of your mind, Craig. I don't know if you've been watching the Ravens, but they've been carving up literally everybody. So I guess it's possible, but that's certainly not a pick I would make. Let's go from one AFC East team to another. Who do you like in the Jets-Dolphins game? So last time the Jets played 
the Dolphins, I've decided to, like an idiot, to take the Jets. And it seems like the Jets like to be the team that uh, gives teams their first win, first and only win of the season. So that was a mistake. But this week, I think Jets bounce back here against Miami, minus the five and a half. I see Darnold having a big game, and I, I think they blow Miami out at home this week. I'm not sure they're going to blow Miami out, but the Jets play a lot better at home. They're 1-5 on the road. Three of their four victories have come at home at MetLife Stadium. And the Dolphins, obviously, not exactly a buzzsaw, although they did beat the Jets the first time, and they are coming off a victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. So I wouldn't exactly say this is a piece of cake, but if you force me to pick it, I would go with the Jets just because of the fact that they're home, and I think that they play so much better at home. I have a feeling they're going to be able to even up the series at 1-1. Who do you like for your third pick, Craig? So my third pick here, I'm going to pick the Arizona-Pittsburgh game. Uh, Arizona plus two and a half at home against Pittsburgh. Again, I know you might say I'm crazy. And listen, I actually personally believe, I was actually listening to the Mad Dog, one of our favorites on the radio the other day, and he was talking about Pittsburgh and a couple guys called in saying, you know, how great of a job Mike Tomlin has done this year. I think personally think he deserves to be in the coach of the year running considering they have a shot at the playoffs here and, you know, they haven't had much of a quarterback situation. With all that being said, I like Arizona this game. Tough game. I know Arizona's not great, but Pittsburgh, big tra- road trip. They got to travel cross country. Arizona may not be good, but I think – at home, I think they're going to win this one. Tough game for Pittsburgh here. And, uh, yeah, like Arizona plus the two and a half. And, Craig, thanks for uh, listening to my show, Mad Dog Unleashed. Really appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist the opportunity to do a Mad Dog impression. One of our favorites for a really long time, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. I have to say I agree with you on that one. I think that the Steelers have overachieved considering what they've had to work with for a lot of the year. ton of injuries. Connor's been hurt at points. Juju Smith-Schuster. We all know about Ben Roethlisberger. But this is on the road. As you said, they have to go across the country. And I like what Kyler Murray brings to the table, especially at home. I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to dial some nice stuff up. And I like Arizona to win this one. What do you have for your teaser this week, Craig? All right, so first game in the teaser, like I said, favorite game of the week. I know you think I'm crazy, but I love Buffalo plus the five and a half, so I'm going to take them again in the teaser plus 12 and a half. Hopefully the Ravens don't destroy them like they have been uh, a lot of other teams this year, but I don't know. Like I said, I just, I'm just i really impressed by Buffalo. I, I think they're not getting enough credit. Again, unfortunately for them, they're in the same division as the Patriots, so I don't know how much what they're going to really do in terms of postseason, but Definitely a great season for them, and yeah, I think they're going to surprise some people this week, and if they don't win this game outright, I think they're going to keep it real close at home with Baltimore, so I'm going to go with Buffalo plus the 12.5, and and then my second pick, this seems a little too obvious, so it kind of scares me, but I'm going to go with the Eagles on Monday Night Football, minus 1.5 on the teaser against the Giants. I mean, again, I was listening to Mad Dog, and he was talking about how disastrous the Giants have been and their drafting over the last couple of years and it almost makes you proud to be a Jet fan how bad the Giants have been They're, they've been pretty horrendous as well so I'm going to say the Eagles should win this one pretty easily outright so I'm going to go Eagles and Bills in my teaser 
I don't hate the Bills pick. I don't love them plus five and a half, but when we're talking about plus 12 and a half, I think that's a different story. I think they have a good enough defense to keep it close enough that I could see picking them on a teaser. And as far as the Giants and the Eagles, look, the Eagles can't get out of their own way, but the Giants are just an absolute embarrassment right now. And as you said, this game is in Philadelphia. So if you're only laying one point, it's basically a pick em. I don't see how you don't go with the Eagles on the teaser. So I like your picks there for the teaser. Craig, thanks so much for coming on. I'm glad we were able to do this. Hopefully, the next time we talk, of course, it would be off the air. I'm calling you a dad, and then I can report back to everybody all about it, and you can talk about it when you're on next week. But before we get to that point, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know how they can get a hold of you if they want to congratulate you on the fact that you're going to be a dad. In fact, by the time they would have the opportunity to contact you, odds are you already would be a dad. Or if they want to pick your brain about betting, about poker, or anything else, where can they get a hold of you? So they can send me an email at cmace86 at aol.com or send me a message, Craig Mason at Facebook. Also, one last thing, back to the picks. I just wanted to uh, discuss one other game this week. I I'm not going to necessarily pick it, but it's to me it's the the best game of the week, maybe one of the best games of the season. So thought I'd uh, give some extra knowledge on this one. I want to talk about the uh, 49ers at the Saints this week. Real great game, possible you know real big playoff implications in that one. I do actually think the Saints are minus two and a half at home in this one. I do like the Saints, but real good game. Interesting to see what happens here. I mean the the, the the NFC playoff picture is pretty interesting right now. I mean, I, I still personally, I do think Seattle's going to wind up running, wind up winning that division and getting a bye. But we'll see. The Niners have been tough. I mean, tough game last week with the Ravens, and now another another tough one with the Saints. So curious to see how the the final four weeks of the season wind up over here. I typically love the Saints at home. I think they're almost unbeatable at home. However, if the 49ers can get a lot of pressure on Breeze and the Niners have done a great job of getting pressure on quarterbacks this year, I think they have a chance to win. But like I said, the Saints are a buzzsaw at home. So if they end up getting home field advantage, it's going to be real tough for somebody to knock them off in the playoffs. Craig, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Like I said, next time we talk, I guess I'm going to be an uncle. Wow, that's a crazy thing to think about. Now let's get back into the mailbag with our next question from AJ Tronzano. He says, if the Jets don't win another game the rest of the year, they wind up going 0-6 in the division and finish the season 4-12. That's a really hard sell to the fans. What does Christopher Johnson tell fans, or does he just stick with the, it's a process and this is year one of the program? Also, if the Jets finish 4-12, and is that enough to get this team into the top five of the draft? What would you do at that point? Would you trade down, or is there a player you like? So let's start with the first part of this. The reality is it's an ugly sell. If they go 0-6 in the division and they finish 4-12, and it's ugly. But Christopher Johnson, as you said, he's going to say the same thing that he's been saying all along. There's injuries, it's a process, they're building something, and this coming year will be the first real year of the new program. That's my suspicion is what he'll say. As far as whether 4-12 and 12 would be bad enough to get you into the top five, probably, but I can't say for sure as to who they would pick. Again, it really depends on who's on the board at the time and whether you would trade down depends on what you get offered and who would be on the board if you trade down. So a lot of stuff there that you can't really answer without further information in front of you, information that we're not going to have until sometime into the future. 
Yeah, that's pretty much what Christopher Johnson would say. Um, it's the only thing he can say. Um, you know, he can point out the injuries. He can point out the issues with the roster. But, um, you know, even doing that is really just pointing out the problems with McCagnan, who he was willing to stick with until Adam Gase came here and convinced him to get rid of him. So uh, he's in a no-win situation here. Uh, uh, that's a result of him and his brother's own doing. Um, but, yeah, that's what he'd say. It was, you know, first year was bad. He had the injury bug really threw us off. We need to have a full season with Joe and Adam Gase working together and build the roster how they see fit. Um, as far as them being able to get a top five pick, it's definitely possible because if they lose the rest of the games, then one of those losses is to Miami, who would then also have four wins. They still have a game against the Bengals later, so you can think that they have a realistic chance to get the five wins then. Um, you got – they're not going to catch the Giants. They're probably not catching Washington. Uh, Atlanta's at three and nine. <clears throat> and then you have Detroit and Arizona at three, eight, and one. But if they each just win one game, they would – the Jets would have a slightly worse record because of that tie – um, but there's a bunch of other teams at four and eight too. Well, it, it's definitely possible if they lose out that they could get a, end up with the top five pick. I would if they lose out, I'd say they're probably picking somewhere between four and seven. I want to address one other thing too, Chris. Somebody brought up the fact that Mike Greenberg on ESPN said that Christopher Johnson should fly to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and beg Jim Harbaugh to come in as the head coach of the New York Jets. My friend Steve responded to this on Twitter, and I quote tweeted him. He said, I'd rather just suffer through another year of Adam Gase. Couldn't be any more against this possibility. And this is why I hate reactionaries like Mike Greenberg. The problem with Jim Harbaugh is he's a big name, but he's been exposed a lot at Michigan. He hasn't been able to beat Ohio State. He's one in three in mediocre bowl games. He alienated a lot of people at his last stop in the NFL in San Francisco, not just in the front office, but a lot of players as well. And I think that this is one of those situations where people just hear Harbaugh and gravitate to that name now, as opposed to looking into what he's actually done. He's been a big disappointment at Michigan. I don't think that he would be this super hot commodity that people like Greenberg think he would be. And I agree with my friend Steve that I would rather stick with Gase because with Gase, if he does poorly next year, good chance he gets fired. If you bring in Jim Harbaugh, you have to give him this big, massive contract, and now you're stuck with him for at least a couple of years. He's another my way or the highway type, and if things go wrong, what are the Jets going to do? They're not going to want to pay four coaches at the same time, <laughs> paying Bowles, paying Gase, and then also paying Mike McCagnin, paying Jim Harbaugh. So I just think that would be a nightmare scenario. I don't understand why anybody would think that it's a good idea to not only try to get Jim Harbaugh, but to quote-unquote fly to Ann Arbor and beg for him unless there's somebody that's not really paying attention to what's going on yeah there there's a million reasons why uh, going after Harbaugh would be a bad idea but the only reason that you need to to know is because Mike Greenberg thinks that it would be the <laughs> that that's the only thing you need to know to know that it would be a bad idea because like you said he is super reactionary he reacts 
in the moment without any actual thought in place. It's a big name. It's a splash. It's he has a, honestly a very similar mindset to the Johnsons. Um, so yeah, it'd be a terrible idea. Um, we're not talking about Jim Har- uh, Harbaugh from after he was leaving San Francisco, man. After watching everything play out in Michigan, I don't know how anyone can sit there and say, you know who we need to fix this? Harbaugh. Uh, not John Harbaugh. Not not the ba- Ravens coach because that that would be different. But he ain't going anywhere now. Um, yeah, I, like I said. The fact that Mike Greenberg is the one saying it is all you need to know to know that it's a bad idea. Classic case of just wanting the big, splashy, flashy name. And as you said, sadly, he actually does think a lot like the Johnsons. So I could see something like that happening. I could see if Adam Gase gets fired at the end of next year, they go out and get Jim Harbaugh and we're all smacking our heads against the desk. By the way, I don't think that Jim Harbaugh and Joe Douglas working together would be that great of an idea anyway because Douglas came in here wanting to run his own ship. We know that Harbaugh loves to have control, so there's a whole lot of mess that would be involved there. I just think it would be a terrible idea in every way, which is why, as you said, Chris, shouldn't be surprised that Mike Greenberg is the one that suggested it. Last question, Chris. This comes in from Scott M. He says, is it me or does Steve Belichick look a lot like Dewey Crow from Justified? By the way, Scott M. is obviously me. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously you. And yes, the, uh, all he's missing is the gator tooth necklace. That's that's it. If he, he put a gator tooth necklace on him and he is Dewey Crow and I would, I'm not hearing anything otherwise. In fairness, Chris, he may have that necklace. We just haven't seen it yet. That that's very fair point. He's got the hoodie on uh, too, so maybe it is under there. And actually, I'm just going to continue living the rest of my life believing that there is a gator tooth necklace under there. <laughs> so am I, because if nothing else, it's amusing and entertaining. And I'm all for amusing and entertaining. I'm here for the LOLs. Chris, thanks as always for joining me on the pregame report and mailbag. Really appreciate it. For those that are looking to get some good material over JetsInsider.com, I know you and Michael Nania have plenty cooking over there. So what do you got up? Yeah, I, I like I said, I haven't uh, had much time to do much today, but I am going to put up an article about players that they should re-sign and then start looking at uh, – free agent uh, possible targets where they could do and then how they could uh, try to take care of those positions in free agency to focus on the draft. Obviously, I'll have uh, an article from the game. And then on Mondays for the rest of of the season, every Monday, Michael Nanio will will put out uh, an article with his numbers uh, updating us on exactly where the Jets rank and doing what he does really well with putting that into context. And then during the – the off season, he will be doing a lot more writing for me as well. But uh, right now, it's once a week for that. Um, but we will have plenty of up there after the game, assessing how the game went, what went right or wrong, and then looking forward to the rest of the season because we got a quick turnaround against Baltimore next week, and that should be interesting. 
Go ahead and read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter, at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. You can also read Michael Nania's work over at JetsInsider.com. This is kind of becoming Jets Insider Radio now with Chris appearing and Michael appearing every week. So it's exciting that the two of them are together. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.